0: Section number 2. Of Whom We Shall Welcome. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Whom We Shall Welcome. Report of the President's Commission on Immigration and Naturalization. Part 1. Americans Speak on Immigration. Chapter 1A. The Commission's Hearings. Immediately after the President issued Executive Order No. 10392, dated September 4, 1952, and his public statement of the same date, naming the chairman and members of the Commission, and defining its duties and powers, work of organization began. It became evident that if the Commission was to comply with the directive to make a final report not later than January 1, 1953, steps had to be taken promptly to gather the necessary information in different sections of the country. It was obviously impossible to arrange for large numbers of people to go to Washington to express their views orally and in writing, based upon experience and knowledge of the operation of immigration and naturalization laws, regulations and policies. The Commission decided to visit key places throughout the country and hold public hearings at which any interested person could appear and make a statement. In order to assure attendance of persons especially qualified to discuss existing laws and policies and those about to become effective, the Commission invited individuals and agencies with information relevant to the economic, social, and other implications of past, current, and future immigration laws and policies of the nation This was done by specific invitations and public announcements. In addition to those invited, all who requested to be heard were scheduled within the time available. At the time the Commission began its work, the laws on the subject enacted prior to the 82nd Congress were still in effect. The codification, embodied in the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1952, Public Law 414, 66 Statute 163 McCarran-Walter Act, June 27, 1952, had been passed over the President's veto, but was not to take effect except provisions relating to the establishment of a joint congressional committee until December 24, 1952. Schedule of hearings. The task of communicating with individuals and organizations throughout the country and of arranging a schedule of hearings was a difficult one, achieved under great pressure because of the immediate necessity of equipping working quarters and selecting a competent staff and because of the limited time for the project. The Commission carried out the following schedule of hearings, New York, September 30th and October 1st, Boston, October 2nd, Cleveland, October 6th, Detroit, October 7th, Chicago, October 8th and 9th, st paul october tenth st louis october eleventh san francisco october fourteenth los angeles october fifteenth atlanta october seventeenth and washington d c october twenty-seventh twenty-eighth and twenty-ninth this added up to fifteen days of hearings in eleven different cities from the atlantic to the pacific Coast. invitations to appear before the commission were also Issued to persons and organizations, public and private, in other cities and areas in the same section of the country in which each of the hearings was held. The appendix to this report contains the names of people who testified and the organizations represented at the Commission's hearings or who submitted statements to the Commission. In addition, the Commission held a number of executive conferences with. Federal officials entrusted with the administration of immigration and security programs of the United States. The Commission made a studied effort to obtain statements on the subject, oral and written, from all points of view. In view of the fact that a presidential campaign was then in progress, the Commission refrained from inviting anyone who was a candidate for federal office, the sole exception being in the case of Congressman Francis E. Walter, co-sponsor of the immigration and nationality act of 1952 senator pat mccarron and members of the staff of the senate committee on the judiciary were also invited however whenever any member of the house of representatives or senate of the united states requested leave to appear the request was granted considering the brief notice and opportunity for preparations the wealth of material submitted to the commission much of it of great importance and permanent value is almost incredible fortunately through the cooperation of congressman emmanuel seller of new york chairman of the committee on the judiciary of the house of representatives it has been possible to print a record of the hearings containing the statements made during the hearings and those submitted subsequently because of its length the record of hearings could not be included in this report It contains oral testimony on the subject given by some 400 persons and written statements by approximately 234 others, or a total of 634 statements, some expressing the views of individuals, others made in official capacities on behalf of agencies of the federal, state, and municipal governments, and others on behalf of many religious, welfare, political, and other private organizations. It comprises some 2,100 pages and may be obtained from the Superintendent of Documents, Washington, D.C. In beginning the task assigned to it by the President, the Commission was confronted by certain facts having an important bearing on the feasibility of efforts at this time to evaluate the national policies with respect to immigration and naturalization. They may be stated as follow. 1. The passage by both branches of Congress of the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1952 and its repassage by more than a two-thirds vote in each House over the President's veto message, which gave forceful expression to criticisms of particular provisions of the bill. 2. The failure of the 82nd Congress to take action with respect to S. 3109, introduced by Senator Hendrickson, or h r 7376 introduced by congressman seller providing for the issuance during a period of three years of three hundred thousand special non-quota immigration visas to certain refugees persons of german ethnic origin and natives of italy greece and the netherlands these bills were drafted to comply with a message urging such legislation sent by president truman to Congress, March 24, 1952. The Immigration and Nationality Act of 1952 codifies, for the first time, the many pieces of immigration legislation enacted since 1917, and to that extent supplies a document long needed. In addition, however, to the reenactment of existing provisions, some of which had been the subject of controversy. The new law contains revisions and amendments suggested during the legislative hearings and by the staffs of the Congressional committees. Some of these changes liberalized the immigration laws, but many of the others resulted in new restrictions, both in substantive law and in administrative procedures. The President's veto message and the subsequent debates on the floor of the Senate and House had the effect of arousing more general interest in the subject than had been previously shown. The appointment of this commission and the announcement of its plan to go to the country for information as to the effect of immigration laws, procedures, and policies on the economic, social, and other aspects of life in the United States gave opportunity for expression to an increasing public concern. Nationwide Interest the commission was to find, as it moved from city to city and from region to region, that religious, welfare, and other organizations have begun to hold discussions not only within their own membership but with each other on important features of the Act of 1952, in an attempt to crystallize their views on the question as to whether the new law is adequate to meet the grave and complex problems involved. Renewed consideration of such matters seemed to be prompted by a belief that the united states had not yet fulfilled its obligations to suffering humanity that the displaced persons program under which nearly four hundred thousand persons had been brought to the united states from europe had been a great success but that existing emergencies abroad demanded further efforts in behalf of refugees expellees, escapees remaining displaced persons relatives of those who had reached safety in the united states and other categories of people whose living conditions and constant dangers are a reproach to our civilization. At first there was a disposition by some to postpone any effort to arrive at conclusions on long-range immigration policies, especially in view of the enactment of the Act of 1952 and the fact that there was no practical experience under its administration and to concentrate on legislation to meet the emergency situation, such as proposed in the President's message of March 24, 1952. This attitude gave way to suggestions by representatives of the largest and most important organizations for a new and different set of permanent policies, and this attitude was buttressed by the view that the basic principles of the Act of 1952 are the same as those that existed in the legislation it superseded and that therefore no additional experience with such legislation was needed in order to provide sufficient basis for informed opinions in addition members of state displaced persons commissions or committees and their staffs and the officials of various religious and welfare organizations had been engaged over a period of years in assisting in the reception resettlement, and supervision of the nearly 400,000 persons who were brought to the United States under the Displaced Persons Program. Their knowledge of the current results of that project, derived through their contact with these immigrants, was made available to this commission. The governors of 36 states appointed state displaced persons commissions or committees, and many of these agencies are still active as this report is being prepared although their activities at present are reduced largely to problems incident to supervising or recording the results of the integration of the newcomers into life in the United States. Leaders Speak The New York session set the tone of the hearings. It became evident at once that religious, civic, and welfare organizations of national and even worldwide importance were tremendously interested in the subject matter and in the task assigned to the Commission, they welcome the opportunity to be heard, to record their views, and to cooperate in any effort to arrive at common understandings in a common program for consideration by the Commission, by the President, and eventually by the Congress. The very first person to appear before the Commission was the Director of Field Operations for the Refugee Service of the World Council of Churches with headquarters in Geneva, Switzerland. had returned but two days before from europe and during the year had visited and studied refugee problems in the middle east and far east the council is made up of the protestant and orthodox churches of the world some one hundred and sixty major denominations it was followed in new york and elsewhere by representatives of protestant catholic and jewish charitable and humanitarian organizations by scholars who had done research in population problems and in related fields by scientists educators and those engaged in various phases of social work by public officials whose experience and knowledge enabled them to speak with authority by representatives of agriculture business and labor by professors of law and political science by lawyers specializing in immigration cases by representatives of various nationality groups whose roots lay in southern and eastern europe and in asiatic countries or closer to home in the west indies by representatives of organizations especially interested in foreign affairs by representatives of various sectarian and non-sectarian bodies engaged in activities concerned directly and indirectly with immigration by representatives of various types of educational institutions, such as universities and art museums, by representatives or members of political parties and organizations interested in political and social and economic issues, by representatives of business enterprises with interests abroad and whose operations are affected by immigration laws. And by representatives of veterans, patriotic and civic organizations, and others especially interested in questions related to the protection of American freedoms, liberties, and privileges. Some appeared as individuals, and others were authorized to speak for groups and organizations, public and private. All interests in the United States affected by the provisions and administration of immigration laws were given an opportunity to record their views on the problem assigned to the Commission for study and report. The Commission was surprised to learn of the widespread and rather determined opposition to the Act of 1952. This is all the more amazing in light of its recent passage over the President's veto, and especially because it had not even taken effect at the time of the hearings. In addition, it is fair to say that approval of the new law was voiced by comparatively few, in that in practically all such instances the favorable opinions were not supported by factual information. The dominant theme of those who appeared to testify or file statements was criticism of the Act of 1952. Some objected to specific aspects, but most witnesses opposed the basic theories of the new law. Recent Immigration Perhaps the most eloquent pleas to the Commission for recommendations for changes in the law were made by those who came fortified and inspired by actual experience with the displaced persons program. should not be understood that enthusiasm for displaced persons was unanimous in all sections of the country, or that no instances were mentioned of displaced persons who either were unappreciative of the efforts in their behalf or were mentally or physically unable to make a rapid adjustment to conditions in this country. There were, of course, a number of such instances. It was stated, for example, that some who were believed to be farmers and who were resettled in farming communities did not possess the necessary qualifications and eventually drifted to the large cities where they had opportunities to locate among people of the same nationality groups and were other criticisms, but the weight of testimony made it clear that by reason of the displaced persons program, the United States was enabled to make a substantial contribution to the cause of humanity, at the same time gaining for itself a large group of capable, hard-working, intelligent, and honest people whose prompt integration into the economic fabric of the nation is proving an asset of incalculable value. Along with those ready for work on the farms and in the factories came many possessing special skills and those trained in the arts and sciences. These were the people who had come from camps in Europe or from other temporary quarters in which they had been enabled to exist until some permanent arrangement could be made. These were the victims of the wars and the aftermath of wars, uprooted from their homes and tossed back and forth, as the armies fought and diplomats wrangled these were the refugees from slavery and death the expellees from the land of birth or home the escapees from the other side of the iron curtain the people robbed of all they owned and the survivors of once happy families tortured in body and spirit and set adrift or herded together to await either death or whatever form of rescue may be provided by some of the free peoples as have the means and the will to respond to the call of despairing human beings those who were brought to this country were among those who had survived the severest hardships they came most of them strong and brave to begin life in a new and strange world the story of their willingness to accept whatever fate has in store and the almost overnight success attained by many in the united states makes one of the most remarkable pages of current history handicapped by differences in language and customs, and even dress, by many other difficulties inherent in such a transition, they nevertheless have progressed as a group far beyond the expectations of those who advocated the passage of the Displaced Persons Act of 1948. They have been absorbed by agriculture and by industry. They are in colleges and universities, engaged in teaching or research, An astounding proportion of the younger men are already in the armed services of this country, and the economic success of these people considered together is proved by the fact that, according to the Displaced Persons Commission, those who came under the Displaced Persons Program from October 1948 to August 1952 at a cost to the federal government of some $19 million dollars have already paid in federal income taxes alone more than three times that sum. That progress is slower for some on account of age and other circumstances is evidenced by the narrative told the commission by a minister in a Midwest church, the present janitor of which was formerly the head of the educational system of an entire country in Eastern Europe. But this displaced person, the author of books on educational subjects in his native land does not seem discouraged and doubtless will eventually find an occupation better suited to his abilities it is possible to begin to evaluate not only what has been done for these people but what they have done within a short space of time for the people of our country and such information is relevant to any consideration of the problem of future immigration the displaced persons program brought to the united states armenians czechoslovakians estonians greeks hungarians italians latvians lithuanians poles russian refugees ukrainians ethnic germans nationals of the balkans and others individuals and representatives of organizations drawn into the project testified to their administration for the ability and energy of the immigrants and for the rapidly acquired devotion and loyalty to this country. It is not too much to say that the knowledge and experience gained by contact with the newcomers have served to break down barriers among our own people. Moving toward agreement. The Commission learned that the necessity for exchanging information resulting from actual experiences with resettlement of these immigrants was the moving force through which divergent views were being debated and adjusted the nation's greatest and most powerful groups in welfare activities were reaching agreements on vital issues within their own organizations and with each other indisputable evidence of this was given by the circumstances that leading protestant catholic and jewish organizations criticized the act of 1952 for similar reasons and that in some places a single representative was authorized to speak for many lay and religious organizations of different denominations for example at the boston hearings a single representative from new haven connecticut testified on behalf of the new haven council of protestant churches the new haven jewish community council the italian american war veterans the new haven branch of the national association For the Advancement of Colored People, and the Italian newspaper New Haven. During the Cleveland hearings, a delegation of three persons from Pittsburgh appeared. Two of them, including a Lutheran clergyman, spoke for the American Service Institute of Allegheny County, Pennsylvania, the social and civic agencies in Pittsburgh and Allegheny County, the American Bulgarian League, Catholic Slovak Brotherhood, council of jewish women croatian fraternal union federation of jewish philanthropies and united jewish fund greater beneficial union of pittsburgh jewish family and children's service lutheran service society serb national federation verhove association and the jewish community relations council another witness at the cleveland hearings was a person from cincinnati who brought letters from the Director of the Catholic Charities of Cincinnati and from the Executive Secretary of the Council of Churches of Greater Cincinnati, and who appeared on behalf of those organizations and the Citizenship Council of Cincinnati, the Church Federation, and the Jewish Community Council of Cincinnati. One person came to the Cleveland hearing from Buffalo, New York, and authorized to speak for eight different organizations the Board of Community Relations of the City of Buffalo, Council of Social Agencies, Diocesan Resettlement Committee of Catholic Charities, Labor Committee to Combat Intolerance, Anti-Defamation League, Council of Churches, Jewish Federation for Social Service, and the International Institute. To the hearing at St. Paul came a Methodist minister from Austin, Minnesota, authorized to speak for his own group, and for the jewish group in that community and also the packing-house labor union there in atlanta georgia the commission heard from the chaplain and head of the department of religion at the university of georgia athens georgia who presented a statement on behalf of seven religious leaders in athens five Protestant, one catholic and one jewish To the same hearing came the director of the Archdiocesan Resettlement Bureau of New Orleans, Louisiana, who was also a member of the State Committee on Displaced Persons and the New Orleans Resettlement Committee. He submitted a joint statement of views opposing basic policies of the immigration law signed by six representatives of broad segments of religious and social life in metropolitan New Orleans, including the minister of the first unit, church the chairman of the department of civil affairs of the new orleans council of churches the president of the new orleans ministerial union the president of the new orleans section of the national council of jewish women a representative of the catholic committee of the south and the director of the archdiocesan resettlement bureau these are some of the instances indicating increased unity of study in thought throughout the country on problems relating to immigration and naturalization they indicate a trend of the greatest possible importance toward the growth of cooperation and goodwill among the people of the united states end of section two